Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for this evening. Uh, thank you for our fellow believers uh, and just for the opportunity to open up your word, uh, which is just an opportunity to grow in the knowledge of you uh, and of your son only by, by your grace. I pray that uh, your spirit would be with us, that you teach and instruct us, uh, that we would know you as the one true living a creator of God, that you're in control over all things, uh, the heaven, the earth, the seas, and all that are in them, uh, and uh, that we would uh, grow in the knowledge uh, of you through uh, through your Son and by your Spirit. And so pray that we, you'd be with us uh, and that uh, you'd teach us and uh, that all that we uh, think and do would be uh, honoring to you. And we ask these things in the name of your Son. Amen. Oh, we're back in Genesis, and we had spent our last couple weeks studying uh, the relationship between uh, the creation and the tabernacle, uh, seeing how, not wanting to confuse the, uh, the two accounts, but that as you go from creation and creation as primary, you have all these creation themes and ideas and how, how the tabernacle, how the discourse even is structured and, and ordered, that it has connections back to creation. But then even within creation, you have connections uh, that relate to uh, God's uh, holy, uh, heavenly temple where, where God dwells. Uh, in the creation where he's uh, building uh, fruitful habitations, a fruitful habitation for his creatures to live, uh, to dwell in, uh, for man to uh, rule over on God's behalf, and for God uh, to dwell uh, in, their, in their midst uh, so that the, the glory of God uh, and his, uh, his blessing, uh, his provision, his rule, his presence, would extend uh, to the very ends of the earth. And so we'll, we'll be seeing uh, more of that as we continue. Uh, tonight, we'll be looking at day uh, three of creation. And whereas on the previous days, God spoke, giving his word of commandment, uh, at the, uh, the beginning of each uh, section, each unit, where God's bringing the incomplete state of uh, the earth uh, to its completion. And so on uh, day one, uh, where there was only darkness, God commanded and brought forth light. And he named, uh, he named the light day and the darkness he called night. And then on day two, God commanded uh, and brought forth uh, an expanse, or the, the vault uh, of, of heaven, uh, which he named heavens, or skies, uh, above. Uh, and so, uh, the waters of the deep, uh, first you have the darkness, God brings forth light, and so then you can have the cycle of the, the days from darkness to light, uh, night to day, evening to morning, the first day. 
And then on the second day, uh, with the, uh, the waters below, uh, he separates them. And so now you have the, the heavens above, uh, where God dwells uh, over, over the waters in the, uh, the very highest heavens, transcending his uh, creation. And so now you have the separation of the waters. But now on day three, there, God will speak twice to command and create. Uh, first, with the creation uh, calling the, the waters there left over, the waters below, to gather together into one place or gathering, and for the dry land uh, to appear. And so this, these are the sort of terrestrial uh, and the aquatic environments uh, below the heavens uh, where uh, God will, uh, which he will populate uh, with the, uh, the fish and the birds, uh, with the beasts and with man. And so he creates uh, or gathers together the waters, brings forth the dry land. So now it's not all submerged. And then finally, to bring day three to a close, he commands once again, and God said, uh, and he calls forth uh, the vegetation. And so we begin the account with the incomplete, unfinished state of the, the heavens and the earth, uh, that can't support life, uh, that can't be populated uh, with uh, the luminaries, with uh, the, the aquatic and the aerial creatures, uh, with the terrestrial, uh, the, uh, the earth creatures, and with uh, man. But then when you get to the end of day three, now we'll have uh, a fruitful, habitable uh, creation uh, and so then on days four through six, we'll see how God begins to fill uh, all, of, all of these uh, areas, the heavens with the luminaries, and then the fish and the birds, uh, the beasts, and then uh, man. Uh, and to them, he will give the vegetation uh, as his provision to them. Uh, and on day six, again, God will speak twice, and God said, and God said, uh, commanding to create. Uh, the beasts and man. And so those are some of the connections with back to day three as you get to the end of the first three days and then the end of the second day, three days, four through six. Well, and right before getting into the text, I also want to contrast this with, uh, with, uh, uh, a pagan account that's kind of uh, an exemplar uh, picture of the sort of things that uh, they believed in their myths. Uh, this will be a Sumerian or a Babylonian one uh, in this case from uh, Mesopotamia. Uh, in contrasting them uh, with the true uh, creation account uh, that we have here. And a lot of times... Uh, some of these uh, pagan myths will be cited and, oh, uh, the biblical authors, Moses and the prophets, oh, they're, they're borrowing from this. Well, they're aware. Uh, they're aware of the myths and uh, they know the background and such, uh, but uh, some of the examples can be uh, kind of funny. And uh, <laughs> we, we'll see. Uh, I won't ruin the, uh, the punchline. Uh, and so 
let's we, we, we'll go to the the myth first and then we'll go to the the true account and uh, uh, compare and contrast them and so <clears throat> Here, uh, we'll be looking at this uh, myth, uh, sometimes called uh, Enuma uh, Elish, or Elish. And here, the, the central point of the myth is not about creation. In fact, we'll see that it's not a creation out of nothing. It's not the uncreated creator who makes the creation. But really... You have the pre-existent primordial waters, the gods, uh, they're personified, uh, these, these powers. And you look at the ocean, if you don't know the one true living god, uh, the, the, the ocean seems like a very permanent sort of fixture uh, in creation. And a lot of times philosophers and such would uh, discuss and argue, you know, What's more fundamental? Is it is it water? Is it fire? Is it earth? Uh, and here, uh, many of them will go back to the primordial waters as sort of in their inert state is sort of the uh, the beginning state of everything. Uh, and it's from there uh, that the gods emerge. And so, as much as it is about the ordering of the cosmos, not bringing it into being, but ordering it. Uh, it's very much about the origin of the gods. Uh, and this whole uh, myth, uh, the, the poetry is really written uh, about Marduk and how Marduk, uh, who is basically the sixth generation of the gods, became preeminent, the god of the Babylonians, and ruled over everything. How Marduk became uh, king overall. He became the highest uh, God. And so just reading from uh, entry uh, Babylonia, Babylonians uh, from the Dictionary of the Old Testament historical books gives just a little of the background uh, speaking about the change, the shift uh, from uh, the preeminence of Enlil uh, Nunurta uh, to Marduk and Nabu, uh, the, these gods, in, in the history of the Babylonians. And so uh, speaks about the second dynasty of Isin uh, in uh, from the uh, middle of the 12th century BC, 1100s, uh, through the, uh, through the, uh, the 1000s. Uh, although probably uh, they originated from Isin, just south of Nippur, uh, those kings ruled from Babylon uh, in modern-day uh, Iraq or Iraq. Uh, of the 11 members of that dynasty, no fewer than six bear names honoring Marduk. Uh, and two, honoring his son, the god Nabu. And so they're connecting their dynasty to Marduk and his son, Nabu. Uh, against one Enlil, uh, name uh, and one uh, Ninurta name. Uh, the shift from an Enlil uh, Ninurta uh, to a Marduk Nabu theology is clear. Uh, the reign of Nebuchadnezzar I 
Uh, and so this was uh, the 1100s BC, not the later Nebuchadnezzar uh, that we see in the Bible, uh, was a major turning point in this process on the occasion of a victorious military campaign to the neighboring kingdom of Elam, he triumphantly brought back to Babylon the statue of Marduk that the Elamites had previously carried off to their capital, Susa. On this occasion, he sponsored the redaction of compositions exalting the god Marduk, who is attributed for the first time the epithet King of the Gods. It is also generally believed that Enuma Elish, what we'll be looking at, uh, the Babylonian creation epic was composed during his reign. Uh, the epic is truly a foundational document of Babylonian identity. It tells how Marduk was selected by the ancestral gods to battle Tiamat, the personification of the primeval chaos of the seas. After his victory, he creates cosmic order out of her dismembered body and selects Babylon as cosmological center and axis of the world. Uh, the gods elevate Marduk to the status of king over them, and the epic ends with a long hymn of glorification celebrating his universal power and his 50 names. One of the main theological points of the epic is that Marduk usurps the position of Enlil as king of the gods and that of his son Ninurta as conqueror of the primeval chaos. And Marduk even becomes identified as like Enlil, where a lot of times they'll use like the names interchangeably. And so essentially it's about the exaltation of Marduk, Marduk becoming king, and therefore Babylon, basically center of the earth, center of the universe. Uh, and so that it, it's exalting them, uh, also politically their kingdom. But Marduk is not the creator of all things. But Marduk was created. Uh, he came to be. He, he was born from the, uh, the gods. And then briefly, uh, Benjamin Foster, uh, in the context of scripture, which we're reading of, uh, he says, uh, the so-called epic of creation preserves a relatively late Babylonian conception of the creation of the physical world, including humanity. Although not its existence, not its coming into being, it always was, but it emerges from the gods, and so all is one. Uh, so it's a relatively late Babylonian conception of the creation of the physical world, including humanity. But its real focus is on the elevation of Marduk to the top of the pantheon in return for taking up the cause of the embattled gods, who build his great temple of Esagila in Babylon in recognition of his leadership. Uh, the composition could therefore be as readily called the exaltation of Marduk. And so what we'll be seeing is uh, we're going to see uh, the primordial seas that have a female component and a male component. Uh, Apsu uh, is the, the male god and Tiamat is the female goddess. So you have a god and a goddess, Apsu and Tiamat, and they are the primordial seas. Uh, the seas of old, uh, the, uh, basically, uh, have, have always, always been. 
And when you hear things like in Hinduism and such, uh, a lot of times you'll have ideas like this, uh, like the seas and all being, uh, being one. Uh, and so from them, uh, the gods descend, uh, which will lead to, uh, to Marduk. Uh, and uh, the, uh, the gods will upset uh, Apsu and Tiamat and disturb them from their beauty rest, uh, their, their slumber. They're going to make too much racket and noise. And so they're going to decide to uh, kill them and destroy them. And so this is kind of where you get sort of the Sumerian and Babylonian flood accounts. Uh, you'll, you'll have interesting connections. Uh, sometimes we'll look more when we get to the flood, where after the flood and after uh, Noah and his descendants fill the earth, there are all sorts of flood accounts uh, where uh, God, the one true God, or the gods, the false gods, uh, flood and destroy and wipe out humanity in a flood. But in a lot of the, the pagan accounts, uh, they become disconnected uh, from, from history uh, and they add all sorts of mythological elements uh, and the gods will become angry uh, because either the other gods or the humans make too much noise, which disturbs them from their rest, their slumber, and so they decide to wipe them all out. And so... The, sort of the justification for uh, wiping out and destroying all of humanity or, or all of the gods is uh, it's not particularly ethical or moral. Uh, in scripture, uh, humanity filled the entire earth with bloodshed uh, and with violence. Instead of just being fruitful, multiplying, and filling the earth, they filled it with, uh, with, with violence uh, and with immorality and wickedness and so God finally uh, destroyed humanity except for uh, eight, uh, the seven who were with Noah. Uh, and so we, we'll see contrasts uh, between uh, those two things. And so just to start, we'll just briefly touch on uh, the very uh, opening uh, section just so you can see kind of how the gods come from the, the gods. <clears throat> so, uh, the beginning of uh, Tablet 1. When on high no name was given to heaven, nor below was the netherworld called by name. Primeval Apsu was their progenitor, and Matrix Tiamat, was she who bore them all. Uh, they were mingling their waters together. Uh, no cane break, uh, or no cane break was intertwined nor thicket matted close when no gods at all had been brought forth, none called by names, none destinies ordained, then were the gods formed within these two. It's not really about the origin of the heavens and the earth so much, or the creation. Uh, the, the waters are already there. They're pre-existing gods. Centrally, it's uh, theogon uh, theogony of uh, the origin of the gods, not a cosmogony, the origin of the cosmos, or, or really 
creation. There, there almost is no creation because there's no creator-creature distinction. It's the eternal cosmos that evolves. And so, when no gods at all had been brought forth, none called by names, none destinies ordained, then were the gods formed within these two. Uh, Lahmu and Lahamu uh, were brought forth, were called by name. When they had waxed great, had grown up tall, Anshar and Kishar were formed greater than they. So the generations of the gods are greater than the ones that came before them. Uh, in reality, uh, the creation isn't greater than the creator. It can't be because the creator made it. Uh, and so when they had waxed great, uh, had grown up tall, Anshar and Kishar were formed greater than they. Uh, they grew lengthy of days, added years to years. Anu, their firstborn, was like his forebears. Anchar made Anu, uh, his offspring, his equal. Then Anu begot his own image, Nudimud. Uh, Nudimud was he who dominated his forebears. Each one's better than the last. Uh, and he'll also be called Ea, uh, Nudimud. Uh, profound in wisdom, acute of sense, he was massively strong, much mightier than his grandfather, Anshar. So he's the fifth generation. No rival uh, had he among the gods, his br brethren, uh, the divine brethren banded together, confusing Tiamat. So here comes the problem. Uh, confusing Tiamat, as they moved about in their stir, uh, roiling the vitals of Tiamat by their uproar, distressing the interior of the divine abode, the waters. Uh, Apsu could not reduce their clamor, but Tiamat was silent before them. Uh, their actions were noisome to her. Uh, their behavior was offensive, but she was indulgent. Uh, thereupon, Apsu, begetter of the gods, summoned Mumu, his uh, vizier, uh, saying to him, Mumu, vizier, who contents me? Come, let us go to Tiamat. Uh, they went, took their places facing Tiamat. They took counsel concerning the gods, their offspring. Apsu made ready to speak, saying to her, uh, Tiamat, uh, Tiamat in loud voice, uh, saying to her, Tiamat in loud voice, uh, their behavior is noisome to me. By day I have no rest. At night I do not sleep. I wish to put an end to their behavior to do away with it. Let silence reign that we may sleep. When Tiamat had heard this, she grew angry and cried out to her spouse. She cried out bitterly, outraged uh, that she stood alone, for he had urged evil upon her. What? Shall we put an end to what we created? Their behavior may be most noisome, but we should bear it in good part. It was Mumu who answered, counseling Apsu, like a dissenting vizier's, uh, was the counsel of Mumu. Put an end, here and now, father, to their troublesome ways. By day, you should have rest. At night, you should sleep. Apsu was delighted with him. He beamed. On account of the evils, he plotted against the gods, his children. He embraced Mumu around his neck. He sat on his knees so he could kiss him. 
Uh, whatever they plotted between them was repeated to the gods, their offspring. Uh, the gods heard it as they stirred about. They were stunned. They sat down in silence. They sat down in silence. And so they're terrified uh, because Apsu, uh, their father, uh, the begetter of the gods, is planning to kill them and destroy them. And so that's how the, the whole account uh, begins. I think there are five tablets in total. Uh, and then it turns to Nudimut, or Ea. Uh, Ea was aware of all, recognized their stratagem. He fashioned it, he established it, a master plan. He made it artful. His superb magic spell, which is incantation, something recited or pronounced, word of power. Uh, he recited it and brought him uh, to rest in the waters. Uh, he put him in deep slumber. He was fast asleep. He made Apsu sleep. He was drenched with slumber. Mumu, the advisor, was drowsy with languor. He untied his sash. He stripped off his tiara. He took away his aura. He himself put it on. He tied up Apsu. He killed him. Uh, he killed him. Mumu, he bound. He locked him securely. He founded his dwelling upon Apsu. He secured Mumu, held him firm by a lead rope after Ea, or Nudimud, had captured and vanquished his foes. Uh, had won his victory over his opponents in his chamber. In profound quiet, he rested. He called it Apsu, his, temp, uh, his chamber, his dwelling place, temple, basically, meaning Apsu, meaning uh, they recognize sanctuaries. Uh, he established therein his chamber. And then, from here, we come to Marduk. Ea and Damkina, his wife, dwelt there in splendor in the cella, the inner chamber, uh, of destinies, uh, the abode of designs, of uh, the most capable, the sage of the gods, the Lord was begotten. Uh, in uh, the midst of Apsu, Marduk was formed. In the midst of holy Apsu was Marduk formed. Ea, his father, begot him. Damkina, his mother, uh, was confined with him. He suckled at the breast of goddesses, uh, the attendant who raised him, endowed him with glories. His body was splendid, fiery his glance. Uh, he was a hero at birth. He was a mighty one from the beginning. Uh, and so it goes on to speak about how great he is. Uh, and uh, he perceives, he has fourfold vision, seeing in every direction. Uh, he has fourfold hearing. It's probably kind of like the four directions, the four winds, sees in all directions. So instead of just having eyes in the back of your head, why not on all four sides? Uh, and so it talks about how he's greater than all of them. And from there, uh, you have, I think it's his grandfather, makes the four winds for Marduk to play, play with, going this way and that. Now you have the four winds that stir up Tiamat. She becomes angry and enraged and decides her tolerance is done. She's going to kill uh, the gods, her children. And so her and the lesser gods unite to then kill them. And now we'll skip over a few tablets. And we'll get uh, to the heart where uh, Marduk, uh, uh, the other gods, agree to exalt Marduk as king because they're terrified of Tiamat. Uh, and uh, they exalt him as king uh, over, over them. Uh, and he will kill Tiamat of the primordial seas uh, and um, fashion her into the heavens and the earth and uh, the creation. And so, 
Now, uh, jumping to tablet four, line 60. Uh, and so they agree to uh, exalt Marduk, and it speaks about all of his terrible uh, weapons that he has w with him, and the south wind, and the north wind, and the east wind, and the west wind. Uh, and he's kind of the, uh, the god of uh, the heavens, and the god of storm, and the god of wind and lightning. Uh, so in some ways, kind of similar to, to like a Zeus. And so... Uh, talks about the Lord, he, he goes to make battle, uh, made straight and pursued his way. Uh, toward raging Tiamat, uh, he set his face. He was holding a spell ready upon his lips, a plant, antidote to venom. He was grasping in his hand. At that moment, the gods were stirring, stirring about him. Uh, the gods, his fathers, were stirring about him. Uh, the gods stirring about him. Uh, the Lord drew near to see the battle of Tiamat. He was looking for the stratagem of Kingu, uh, her spouse, uh, as he, uh, it was actually one of her children, so you have incest. Uh, as he looked, uh, and we've seen infanticide, you know, killing their children, Apsu going to kill their children, patricide, killing their father or uh, the god who went before them. And so just the immorality, the wickedness, uh, killing them out just because they're noisome and bothersome and they can't get their beauty rest. Uh, and so the, the immorality uh, of it all. Uh, and so they're straying about. Uh, the Lord drew near uh, to see the battle of Tiamat. He was looking for the stratagem of Kingu, her spouse. As he looked, his tactic, tactic turned to confusion. His reason was overthrown. His actions panicky. And as for the gods, his allies, who went at his side, when they saw the valiant vanguard, their sight failed them. So who were with uh, Marduk. Uh, Tiamat cast her spell point blank. Falsehood, lies, she held ready on her lips. Uh, quote, a lord, uh, the gods rise against you. Uh, they assembled where they are. But are they on your side? Uh, the lord raised the deluge, his great weapon, to Tiamat, who acted conciliatory, sent he this word. Uh, why outwardly do you assume a friendly attitude while your heart is plotting an open attack? Children cried out. They oppressed their parents. But you, uh, their own mother, spurned all natural feeling. You named Kingu to be spouse for you. Though he had no right to be, you set him up for chief god. You attempted wicked deeds against Anchar, sovereign of the gods. And you have perpetrated your evil against the gods, my fathers. Uh, though main force is drawn up, though these your weapons are in array, come within range, let us duel, you and I, uh, you and I. Uh, when Tiamat heard this, she was beside herself. She turned into a maniac. Tiamat shrieked loud in a passion. Now remember, she's the raging seas. Uh, her frame shook all over, down to the ground, he was reciting the incantation, casting his spell, while the gods of battle were wetting their blades, uh, sharpening. Tiamat and Marduk, sage of the gods, drew close for battle. Uh, they locked into single combat. 
Uh, the Lord spread out his net, encircled her. Uh, the ill wind he had held behind him, uh, he released in her face. Tiamat opened her mouth uh, to swallow. She's the seas, remember. Uh, he thrust in the ill wind so she could not close her lips. Uh, the raging winds bloated her belly. Her insides were stopped up. She gaped her mouth wide. He shot off the arrow. It broke open her belly. It cut her innards. It pierced the heart. He subdued her and snuffed out her life. And now we get to the creation. Okay. Then you, you get scholars. Oh, day two. I was just borrowing from this. You know? um, here it is. He flung down her carcass. He took his stand upon it. After the vanguard had slain Tiamat, he scattered her forces. He dispersed her host. As for the gods, uh, her allies who had come uh, to uh, her aid. And so uh, talks about how he routes them. Uh, he sends them away, uh, casts out uh, his net uh, upon the horde. Uh, in Kingu, he uh, captures him uh, and uh, seals him away. Uh, and then, let's see, going down line 125, uh, having fully achieved Anchar's victory over his enemies, a valiant Marduk, having attained what Nudimud, uh, or Ea, his father, desired, he made firm his hold over the captured gods, then turned back to Tiamat, whom he had captured. The Lord trampled upon the frame of Tiamat with his merciless mace. He crushed her skull. He cut open the arteries of her blood. He let the north wind bear it away as glad tidings. Uh, when his fathers saw, they rejoiced and were glad. Uh, they brought him gifts and presents. He calmed down. Then the Lord was inspecting her carcass, that he might divide the monstrous lump and fashion artful things. He split her in two, like a fish for drying. Half of her he set up and made as a cover heaven. He stretched out, stretched out the hide and assigned watchmen and ordered them not to let her waters escape. He crossed heaven and inspected its firmament. He made a counterpart to Apsu, as her husband, in the seas below, uh, the dwelling of Nudimud, his father. Uh, the Lord uh, measured the construction of Apsu. He founded the great sanctuary, uh, the likeness of Ashara, in the great sanctuary in Ashara, of which he built, uh, and in heaven, he made Ea and Leel and Anu dwell in their holy places. Uh, and then it goes on and uh, speaks about how he uh, uses her various uh, body parts, bodily orifices, uh, fluids uh, to uh, form uh, the rest of order, the, the cosmos, uh, heaven, earth, uh, rains, uh, the springs, uh, the mountains, the arch of heaven, uh, the netherworld. Uh, and so any slight <laughs> similarities that you have, well, you have to explain where the seas came from, where the, heaven, the skies came from, um, uh, where the, the earth and the dry land came from. Uh, and so all that's basic, I mean, to modern cosmologies and science and such um, for any of the myths. But here, I mean, you're really dealing with the origin of the gods. You don't have a creator. 
Uh, you don't have a creation uh, distinction. Uh, and uh, they're immoral, uh, they're, uh, they're wicked. Uh, and so, uh, by contrast, first off, God exists independently of all things, and they exist through him, they depend upon him. You have twoism, uh, the creator and the creation, as we've spoken about. Uh, but here, uh, there's no uh, creator-creature distinction. Uh, and uh, the gods, I mean, they're the seas, uh, they're, they're born, uh, they can die, they can be killed. Uh, uh, gods can be uh, promoted. Marduk is like the sixth generation, but uh, kills his great-great-great-great-grandmother. Uh, 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 and then he becomes the, uh, the chief top, top god in, uh, in Babylon, god of the, the Babylonians. Uh, and I think it was uh, Peter Williams uh, who even spoke about so you have gods coming from gods coming from, from gods. Uh, and, you know, what happens when a god looks uh, upon a pretty lady and, you know, get together and get married? Uh, half god. Like quarter god and eighth god. And, uh, and so it, it's just completely, it's kind of weird to use even the word uh, because with the one true living god in creation, he's the creator of all things. But here, uh, the gods are the cosmos. You can't even call it, call it a creation. Uh, they're, they're fundamentally uh, different. Uh, and then, so God's eternal. You have the creature-creature distinction. Uh, and then, secondly, uh, creation poses no threat to God. Uh, and the creation goes, we've been seeing, no threat whatsoever. Not the seas, not the heavens, not the earth. Uh, he creates and orders them all and rules over them. There's no threat there. You just have God's spirit hovering over the waters in, in the beginning. Uh, but here uh, you have God's trying to kill their children and their children turning around and killing them. And, uh, and so the, the creation, uh, the, the, the gods in the creation is a threat and the waters are, are a threat. And then finally, uh, God is supremely good, uh, but all of these gods, they're, they're evil uh, with the infanticide and patricide and uh, incest and uh, immorality and wickedness. And uh, uh, they have arbitrary anger and temper problems and uh, just at some noise, uh, they'll, they'll go out to kill, kill everyone. Uh, and uh, scripture is grounded in space-time history. A lot of the myths are just kind of floating out in the eternal whenever. I mean, it's supposed to be sort of a beginning of sorts, uh, but a lot of the myths, they're just kind of floating uh, out there. It's just stating uh, general things, sort of um, once upon a time in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> you know, uh, Kind of uh, off like a fairy tale or, or something, something like that. Uh, but scripture is anchored in uh, history, and we'll see that like with the genealogies and such. And so, let's now turn uh, and we'll go uh, into day three, uh, and we'll we'll contrast and uh, see this with the seas that are no threat uh, to to God. So, with these creation accounts that we see. Do you think that 
this comes from the creation or mind of man, or do you think this has like, demonic roots, or we can't really say? Well, yes. <laughs> that, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. I mean, uh, the, the, the serpent was the one who said, did God really, did God really say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? I'm just asking a question. You know, I'm, I'm not. But planted in there is the assumption he did say you can't eat from the tree. How he phrases it, it's assuming God denied all the trees. So he's getting her to focus on the prohibition. And so uh, the serpent, he's the fa- father of lies, uh, the, uh, the devil, slanderer, uh, the satan, the adversary. Uh, he's uh, the, the father father of lies. And so what is not true, what's false, by its very origin, by its very nature, is inherently demonic. And so, whether from the mind of man, whether hearing the voice of a demon, or, or however, it's, it's demonic. It, it ultimately goes back to the first lie. Uh, did God say, you shall be as God, or uh, however you translate, as gods, as, as God, uh, them, individually or collectively, uh, that they'll be equal uh, to the one true living creator God. Here he made them in his image after their likeness, but that wasn't enough. They wanted to be just like God, uh, uh, determining good and evil for, for themselves, knowing it for, for themselves, not trusting uh, God's word, uh, not having wisdom through the fear uh, of the Lord. And so, yeah, uh, all, all lies, all myths, all false creation accounts, anything that's against the creator is inherently demonic. And so, uh, but then, I'm sure you, you have a mix. However, uh, demonic deception uh, works out. I mean, uh, sometimes people uh, hear voices one way or another, you know, how, whoever is involved in that, or... Uh, and sometimes you can have like mental health issues, but then uh, you have a super supernatural element too. But I mean, Joseph Smith seems pretty clear. He, he just made a lot of stuff up. I mean, he was, he was lying and deceiving uh, that was convenient and started a movement and uh, polygamy and such. And so some of it, it's like we don't always know the exact Source, man and demons, man and demons. Um, unless scripture like tells us, you know, we don't know what's all going going on. But they, they try and contact uh, spirits and gods and, um, and whether it's through feelings or impressions or actually, you know, hearing from them. And so uh, let's. Can I ask a yes. Yeah. <clears throat> what you just read when I came in. Mm-hmm. Did it uh, have a following? Did people follow it? I mean, did it, did it have an influence? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, Marduk was was the, the be, became wasn't originally, but became the chief god of the the Babylonians. Uh, and so you had the earlier Babylonian Empire, and then you had uh, the new Babylonian Empire under uh, Nebuchadnezzar and his uh, his father. 
uh, which they, they identified uh, with the Babylonian people. They, they were uh, Chaldeans, but sort of uh, trying to revive uh, Babylon and the city uh, and the kingdom. Uh, and and the, the original Babylon goes, uh, uh, goes back to, uh, you have uh, with the, oh no, uh, the law of Hammurabi. Uh, and so that goes back to like what, 17th century uh, or BC uh, around, uh, around there. I just thought, I was thinking of a similarity. Uh, with the Exodus, when it was combating all gods, each, mm-hmm. each uh, plague was against a specific god, mm-hmm. you know? And mm-hmm. here is also, uh, it, it wasn't just... And sometimes maybe multiple. When it yeah. ruined the, the, the battle, you know? Yeah. It was doing uh, spiritual war. I mean, God was ruining their gods as well as man's ego, for sure. And their theology. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He was doing yeah. damage to that as well. Yeah, uh, we were talking about how the name... And we'll get to that with day four, but uh, the, uh, the names Shemesh and Yareah are avoided for sun and moon. Uh, and they could be associated with names of gods. Uh, and sometimes, whether it's Shamash or you know, however uh, they pronounce it. And here you just have the greater light and the lesser light. And part of that may be to connect it like with the tabernacle. Uh, that we were talking about our last couple weeks together, uh, how that's connected with creation. But part of it, uh, I mean, the, the pagans, uh, they basically, in, in humanity, in our rebellion, uh, all of us, we de-God God. Uh, and Jim said, uh, de-sunning the sun. <laughs> uh, we're here, it's, it's just the greater light and the lesser light to give light upon the earth, you know, with the, with the stars. They're just created things. They're created created objects. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, uh, that, that's a good, good connection. And uh, the more you understand about like Egyptian theology, yep, <laughs> it's, it's a real assault. Uh, when the sun goes dark for uh, three days, uh, you just, I mean, that, that, you just assaulted their chief, God and kind of the, the climax of the evolution of their uh, their one God Atum or their theology would kind of evolve or change over time. Um, all right, well, let's uh, get back into the creation account. Uh, and Ryan, would you mind reading uh, from the beginning? Go ahead and read uh, if you're up to it through day three. All right. Starting in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the water, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so, and God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. Go ahead and stop there. So that's supposed to be the Tiamat, you know, Moses, 
gets that from one half of the carcass. Uh, he stood upon the other, uh, hung in the in the sky, the the heavens, heavens above. So there it is, separation of the waters. <laughs> uh, so, uh, they all have to uh, address waters and heavens. And part of the other funny thing is, the more myths you read, Egyptian, Sumerian, Babylonian, Akkadian, Ugaritic, they all have kind of different variations. And so it's kind of, a lot of times it's hard to pin on just one thing. Uh, and so I think... Moses uh, and the prophets being aware of these things, you certainly see assaults on the gods. I mean, you see that directly with the Exodus. Uh, you'll see that like in Isaiah, uh, and sometimes they'll talk about like God riding on the clouds of heaven or, um, or slaying uh, the, the serpent, the, the dragon of old, or he'll identify Egypt as like Rahab, as like a mythical monster and God slays and conquers Egypt. Uh, and so you'll use some of that quote unquote mythopoetic imagery uh, in their uh, in the rhetoric and the assault on the gods. Don't trust in Egypt. Uh, God is sovereign over them. God defeats and conquers them. And so sometimes they'll like personify Egypt as one of their gods. Uh, but a lot of what's going on, like with the creation account, is by giving the true account of creation. Uh, that itself contrasts so dramatically with what what the peoples around them uh, believed uh, and was uh, kind of an antidote and would, would inoculate them against uh, the error. So let's continue then through, uh, through day three. And so now we have two times God speaks to create. One thing I was just going to say, it seems like sometimes when we look at historical works or religions of old we like to say well see the similarities between christianity and them and it seems like some people say oh christianity is borrowing from these people you've got sacrifices and you've got you know murder of the firstborn and all these things mm -hmm. it's like, mm -hmm. it seems like you know, satan would have been aware of these things that would be to come the promises of the messiah and what god would do in offering his firstborn and whatnot and how he takes that and just twists it and the smallest way is and just turns it into such an evil thing, but it just seems like very, very the true. demonic realm just takes what God is going to do and turns it into something mm -hmm. so evil. Mm -hmm. You see that so directly, I mean, when you talk about all these that will borrow uh, from, uh, from the scriptures, uh, whether uh, it is uh, rabbinic Judaism where they add their own traditions that, that take the scriptures but then distort and twist them into something that they they weren't. Uh, then you have like mystical forms of, of Judaism that developed out of it. Uh, or uh, with Islam, uh, Muhammad actually makes claims and tries to make connections back to stories that he heard or was aware of from the Old Testament or drawing on the in Arabic like infancy gospels where it's clear he doesn't have firsthand knowledge of the New Testament, uh, but he's drawing on these later sort of mythical accounts where Jesus's little boy runs around zapping children dead and making pigeon clay pigeons fly and stuff like that. But uh, 
perversion and twisting of the, the scriptures or like Mormonism or you know, all these false teachings. But then you have ones that are even like sort of further offshoots, uh, farther and farther away, Hinduism or Buddhism and all these variations. But I mean, if you just think about the flood in Noah and his three sons, I mean, it's his three sons and their th uh, three wives that repopulate the earth. You don't think they talk about the flood? <laughs> you know, you talk about like family stories, you know, about uh, family history. Uh, you don't think they talk about the flood uh, and uh, the impact that that left upon the, the earth uh, over time and the, and the waters like receding. Uh, there are flood stories all over the earth. Yes, yeah. I mean, that's just one of them. I mean, there, there are so, so uh, many of them. Uh, it seems like from all cultures, I mean, like all, all over uh, the, the place. And so there are going to be elements uh, maybe of truth or, or connections back to that. I mean, just that they're talking about worldwide flood accounts uh, and things, things like that. Uh, but they become perverted and twisted. So uh, D3 now. Okay, so starting in verse 9. And God said, let the waters under the heaven... No, I'll stop there anyways. Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed, according to their own kind, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And so... Here, uh, as we already spoke about, we have, uh, God speaks twice now. And so there, there's something distinct about this third, third day that sets it apart and distinguishes it from the preceding uh, two days. Uh, and that will connect it strongly as we get to day six. But it's not only day six that it's uh, related, uh, related to. And so uh, Matthews, uh, he, he says, just to, to reiterate... Uh, the third day concerns the surface of the earth. Uh, the waters are gathered together into seas. So this is part of the, the surface uh, of, the, of the earth. Uh, the waters are gathered into seas, uh, thereby distinguishing the land masses. And the earth yields green vegetation. Uh, and then, uh, skipping down a little, uh, he says this finishes the three separations of days one through three, which together differentiate the spheres of time and space where life exists. Uh, the consequence of the three days is the productivity of the earth that yields its vegetation. And now the first two days you explicitly have the language of separation. Here you maybe have implicitly uh, that. Uh, first with the, the light and the darkness, come the light to the darkness, uh, night and day, uh, and then uh, with the waters below and the waters above, you have this vertical orientation, uh, which he calls the, uh, the vault uh, of heaven, 
of the heavens, sometimes translate firmament or expanse, or uh, some will have like dome or something like that. Uh, dome, I mean, that almost be kind of, we talk about like a troposphere and things like that. Uh, and so the, the heavens, the skies uh, above, uh, and now uh, on the earth, the, the, uh, the waters are gathered together uh, in the earth, uh, and likely implying that the, the waters uh, may have been, uh, we'll see other waters like river systems and things like that, uh, but may have been in one place. Uh, and uh, the earth, the dry land, uh, may, may have been one uh, supercontinent uh, that, uh, that they lived on. Uh, and a lot of times also, when they look at like the, the seas and the oceans around them, I mean, you have all these land masses and uh, water uh, surrounding them. Uh, and a lot of times the, the waters to the west were particularly prominent with the, uh, the Mediterranean and going out into the, the Atlantic Ocean, but that'd be like the, uh, the Great Sea, I think uh, Hayam Hagadom, uh, the, the Great Sea, or the sea, the great, uh, the great sea, you would say. And so uh, here with, uh, with the beginning, uh, we, uh, verse 10, uh, God called the dry, well, right before that, uh, and God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together uh, into one place uh, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And then we go from there to naming. And here, uh, there's no action on this particular day. And there's a textual issue. Uh, we may look at that. I might uh, do a brief introduction to a textual criticism of the, the Hebrew Bible and try and put it in uh, fairly you know, basic, like understandable terms. Uh, we'll look at some of those things. I think I've changed my views a bit where... Some things with the Dead Sea Scrolls that might preserve one word from uh, from an action here uh, that's in uh, uh, one of the earliest like Greek versions that we have, but I think probably the Masoretic text uh, gets it gets it right. And so uh, we go the, uh, from God commanding, uh, God, uh, which comes at the beginning of all the days. Uh, now. Uh, to God, naming. Uh, God called the dry land earth, and the waters uh, that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And that's the first of two evaluations on day three. Uh, we didn't see, and God saw that was good on day two. We did on day one. And so this is the, the second evaluation, and there will be a third on day three as well. And so, here, uh, God commanding a bringing forth uh, through, through his word of command uh, in, in speech, uh, exercising his authority, and then naming. Uh, these are the last two things he names in creation. Uh, and so he names on the first three days, five things in total, uh, day and night, heavens or skies, uh, and then uh, the uh, 
dry land he calls earth and the waters he calls uh, seas, uh, showing that uh, he is uh, the creator, uh, he is the ruler, he is the sovereign who orders uh, his creation, assigns everything, its function, uh, its place, uh, and uh, he uh, is king and ruler uh, over, uh, over all of them. And so the water is no threat to him. It's just, just the waters. He gathers together. Yes, uh, his creatures could not live there in the beginning, uh, but uh, they're no threat. Uh, but it's also important to recognize that uh, the waters, sometimes people will talk about the waters in negative terms thematically in Scripture, uh, which is true, uh, where you can see you can see that sometimes uh, they can be as a curse or a judgment. Uh, sometimes it pictures the uh, the tempestuous uh, torrential nations are in their rebellion against God. Uh, or it's kind of interesting. The beast comes from the waters. You see the gods uh, emerging from the waters in some of these myths. Here they're just creatures. Uh, they're just created. They're the demonic. They're not the creator. Uh, and so it's kind of interesting that you have this picture of them coming from, from the abyss, from, uh, from the waters, but they're not the creator. Uh, the creation didn't evolve uh, from uh, or emerge forth from them. Uh, and so with cursing and judgment, I mean Noah's flood wiping out all of humanity, the exodus, Pharaoh's army, but uh, they can also be used as a source of blessing and good, God giving forth the rains uh, and uh, vegetation for delivering his people, Noah through the waters, uh, the uh, those who uh, come out uh, of Egypt, uh, he brings them, uh, brings them across uh, through the waters to the other side. Uh, he makes the bitter waters sweet for them to drink. Uh, he brings forth waters from, uh, from dry, dead, non-living rocks uh, that uh, you can never find springs in, no matter how, uh, how far you dig <laughs> uh, looking for water. Uh, and so God can use the, uh, the waters, uh, even Ezekiel, uh, the temple. Uh, there'll be a river flowing west to east from the temple, uh, and then uh, going east uh, into the Jordan River and north and south, uh, and be healing uh, to uh, the, salt, uh, the salt sea, uh, the, the Dead Sea. Uh, and they'll fish there, and uh, there'll be fishermen, and trees uh, that will thrive that are planted along the waters and so the waters can be a source of, of blessing uh, and good uh, as well and here it's God's good creation uh, but also interesting in Revelation there be no seas uh, in the, the new heavens and the new earth yep I was just thinking it was interesting you said that this is the last time God names something mm -hmm. so the earth and the seas and then I believe man goes on to name the beasts and the plants and yeah. everything. And you were talking about how that ties in with God has dominion over everything, you know, maybe even specifically the things that man doesn't have over, which would be the earth and the waters and the seas and kind of natural things. And then man has dominion over the animals and the plants that God gives him to have. Uh, astute reading award. <laughs> if if uh, we had could someone get Ryan a cup of coffee? I, you know it's getting a little late. Maybe maybe on Sunday, help yourself to a cup of coffee. Um, yeah, uh, God God is sovereign over the heavens and all these things. Man doesn't 
uh, doesn't name them, uh, doesn't name the day and the night, doesn't name the, the heavens, the skies above, uh, the, uh, the earth and the seas below. Uh, only God does that. So uh, excellent, uh, very, very good connection. The sixth time that God names is when he names, uh, it says he made man uh, and he named him uh, or named them Adam. So the sixth act of naming is man. Man was created on the sixth day. And you have other thematic things like that. I believe that's in chapter four. I think that's the sixth time that God, God names. Could be mistaken, but I, I'm pretty sure I, I've looked at that uh, before. But elsewhere, you see man is given dominion uh, to, uh, to name the, the beasts. Uh, the man names his wife Eve for, uh, for, for life. Hava, um, that their their children, uh, and then Abel, or Cain kills Abel, and she says, "I've got to a man with the help of the Lord," and then with Seth, uh, she, she call, called him Seth or Seth, uh, for God has pointed me another offspring in place of Abel because Cain killed him. Abel was the offspring of the woman. Seth is the offspring of the woman. Uh, Cain is in, in solidarity uh, with uh, the serpent. Uh, he's an offspring of evildoers, a brood of vipers. And so it's the next time that that word offspring is given, offspring of the woman. And so uh, here God is sovereign. He rules over the heavens. He rules over the seas. Uh, they're no threat to him. Uh, they're nothing for his people to fear. Uh, and so uh, do not look uh, for, uh, do not look uh, to the earth, of uh, the seas, of uh, the heavens, uh, to uh, the, the stars and, and the luminaries. Do not pray to them. Do not look for your blessing there. Uh, it's God uh, who who is the creator of all things. Uh, he's the provider. He's the sustainer. He's the one who blesses his people. He's the one who's in control. And so he's the one uh, that we are to look to. He's the one we're to fear. He's the one that we're to worship. Uh, the create, creation account realigns uh, our thinking entirely uh, of the, the people. You think of the generations after the, the exodus. Uh, knowing who, who God is. And so you don't want to overgeneralize when it comes to waters always bad. Yeah, a lot of times thematically uh, they can be used for that in chaos, uh, but not always. Uh, in Matthews, uh, he says, uh, river systems were essential for the stability of the regions of the ancient Near East. Seasonal rains would reach flood stage and then their departure would leave the land with drought and sometimes famine. Although the Nile and the Tigris-Euphrates river systems, so Nile to the south, Egypt, Tigris-Euphrates, Mesopotamia, Marday, uh, Iraq. Uh, although the Nile and the Tigris-Euphrates river systems provided more stable, uh, a more stable environment uh, than uh, Canaan, uh, which was dependent solely on the rainfall for its agricultural needs, their seasonal inundations also could be devastating if too great. 
God's gathering and appointment of the waters show that they too are under his dominion. The seas are not independent forces to be feared and worshipped, but creations that respond to the direct commands of God. He exerted authority as he named the dry ground land and the waters seas, assigning them their place and function. And so here we have God, uh, who, who is the Elohim, uh, the God, the creator of uh, the earth uh, and the, uh, the seas. And then for shortness of time, we'll get to the vegetation next time. Uh, let's just read through to the end. It's now in the dry land, the earth, he brings forth the vegetation. And God said, uh, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. So you end with the third evaluation. And God saw that it was good. And there is evening and there is morning the third day. Uh, and the third day comes to a close, ready for his creatures to inhabit. Uh, and now, just briefly, go to Jonah very quickly. Jonah 1. God sends Jonah to Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrians, uh, because uh, of the, uh, the, the, the evil that has uh, come up uh, before him or uh, the, uh, the bad that God hears and knows of uh, Nineveh. And so you might, it sounds like he's going to send him as a preacher of judgment. So you wonder, why does Jonah then turn and fly to Tarshish in the opposite direction uh, toward maybe Spain? Or at least in that uh, direction. And God hurls forth uh, a great wind upon the sea uh, because uh, Jonah went uh, down to uh, Joppa or uh, Yafo to flee on a ship there. Uh, Verse 4, but Yahweh hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Uh, Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean you sleeper? Or uh, it's basically, uh, what's with you uh, sleeping? Arise, call call out to your God. Uh, Perhaps the God will give a thought to us uh, that we may not perish. Uh, And then they go and they draw lots to find out (laughs) why this uh, evil has come upon them. And the lot fell upon Jonah, which is really ironic because casting lots in this pagan way is not, (laughs) it's not good. But God in his sovereignty Falls on Jonah. Uh, Verse 8, then they said to him, tell us uh, on whose account this evil has come upon us. 
What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, uh, I am a Hebrew, and I fear Yahweh, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. <laughs> Yahweh, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land, creator of all. Uh, then these men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of Yahweh, because he had told them. Then they said to him, what, what shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then uh, the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to Yahweh. They called out to Yahweh. Oh, Yahweh, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not innocent blood uh, on us innocent blood. For you, oh, Yahweh, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared Yahweh exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to Yahweh and made vows. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared Yahweh exceedingly. <laughs> After it stops, they were afraid when it was storming, and now they're even more afraid when it, when it stops. Because now it's not the sea they're afraid of. Uh, they're afraid of the God of heaven who made uh, the seas and the earth. Uh, the God of Jonah. Uh, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Uh, and now uh, go to uh, Matthew. Or Mark. Uh, go to, uh, to Mark chapter 4. Verse 35. <clears throat> Explain to them the parables and then uh, verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took with, uh, took him with. And leaving the crowd, uh, they took him with uh, them in the boat, uh, just as uh, he was. All right, kind of read that wrong. Uh, and leave, <laughs> leaving the crowd, uh, they took him with them uh, in the boat, uh, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that uh, the boat was already filling, but he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Think of Jonah sleeping down in the boat. Uh, and they, they, uh, they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea. Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, 
Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Uh, and to quote from a paper I wrote back in college, if any of you want to read it, I can share it. Uh, this fear is reminiscent of the sailors in the book of Jonah who become afraid when a storm breaks out and who become even more afraid when they learn that Jonah's God is Yahweh, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. The final straw for the sailors, however, comes after they throw Jonah into the raging sea and it stands still. Jonah chapter 2 verse 16 may be quite literally translated, the sailors feared Yahweh, a great fear. Uh, likewise, Mark chapter 4 verse 40 may be translated, they feared a great fear. And so it's after, uh, and he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Their fears are over, aren't they? He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with a, uh, they feared a great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Uh, now they're recognizing a little bit who's in the boat with them. Uh, this isn't just another man uh, who is with them. Uh, and unlike Jonah, they don't, <laughs> have to throw Jesus isn't a sinner that they throw in the sea <laughs> uh, to appease Yahweh. Uh, Jesus is the one who stills the sea. Uh, uh, they obey him uh, like uh, Jonah's God. Uh, and so uh, you think of uh, all, all these liberals and such uh, and uh, who maybe point to the book of Mark and well at first they saw Jesus as special and then really special and then really really special and then really 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 special and yeah okay by the time you get to the gospel of John he's God or whatever you know but uh, it's kind of a development thing uh, if you know the Old Testament background and you read <laughs> you know like in the Psalms it's Yahweh who tramples down the sea who stills the seas who makes them still and brings them out on the exodus uh, Mark is uh, giving not, not such a little hint on Jesus himself, uh, who this, uh, this one is. Uh, Jesus is the creator and sovereign over the seas, over the earth, over the heavens above, uh, the eternal son of God. Uh, he's the suffering, uh, crucified and resurrected, uh, anointed son of God uh, who gives salvation to his people and the forgiveness of sins for all who repent and uh, trust in uh, him. Uh, and so uh, by the time you get to the middle of Mark, they'll confess him as the anointed one, uh, but they don't know what all that entails yet. And uh, they haven't fully accepted the suffering, crucifixion, and resurrection uh, of this, uh, this one. So anyway, we'll continue uh, with the creation, uh, Lord willing, in two weeks uh, they have the apologetic uh, night uh, third Wednesday of the month so next uh, Wednesday so let's close in prayer Heavenly Father uh, we thank you for your word and thank you that we can know you uh, through your word uh, 
by your spirit and, and through the, uh, the knowledge of your son. Uh, we thank you for uh, sending him, uh, our Lord and our God, our creator and savior, uh, and for uh, revealing yourself uh, through uh, your uh, eternal uh, incarnate son. And uh, we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would come again, that you'd return soon, and that uh, we would look to your coming. But in the meantime, we pray that uh, we would trust and keep our eyes fixed firmly upon upon you, and that you'd help us uh, to walk in your ways. Uh, we thank you for all these things. Amen.